Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we have a conversation with Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller. Barbara and Lynn are the authors of a book titled Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. After talking to them, it's clear that they've put a lot of effort into the research for this book and have a lifetime, or multiple lifetimes depending on how you look at it, of personal experiences to add to the information presented in this book. What I love about their approach is that the focus is on the experiencer rather than on the cold hard facts that traditional science tends to lean on. The topics in this book and in our conversation are some of my favorite topics of all time extraterrestrial interactions, out-of-body experiences, past lives, and the multidimensionality of our beingness. We touch on all of these at some point in this conversation, so let's go there now. Enjoy. things that you guys are talking about on there, all the things that I'm really interested in. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also interested in a lot of those topics too. Can you guys just go ahead and maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do? Sure. My name is Barbara Mango and I have a PhD in metaphysics. I just want to fill in how I met Lynn since we co-wrote the book. Lynn and I were both working on the research committee at the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Research Foundation. And for those of you that don't know, because I didn't know, Dr. Mitchell was the sixth astronaut to walk on the moon. And while he was in space, at one point, he looked down and he saw the Earth and he had just a complete moment where he felt connected with everything, like a transformative moment. And that's what brought him into studying consciousness and the interconnection to different phenomena. So that's how Lynn and I met. And we just clicked. We got along great. And we teamed together to write this book, which is Convergence, the Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences, because First of all, we are lifelong experiencers. Second of all, we agree with the work that Dr. Mitchell was doing, which theorizes that consciousness is non-local and is the basis for all of this extraordinary phenomena. And so we wanted to tie the experiential with the research that we had studied and hard science because we really believe they have to be married. So I've been writing for the last few years, a lot of um, articles online, and I've contributed a few chapters to different books. Lynn and I have been working on this book for like, I think, three years. I work a lot on the blog. I do, um, I write most of the blogs, not all, and um, on our website, as you were mentioning. And I also just found out that I had applied, and I found out I just got accepted to the 2021 IONS convention, conference, excuse me, it's not a convention this year, it's it's online, so it's a conference. So I was really excited about that. And for you who don't know what IONS is, it's the International Association of Near-Death Studies. 
as, and that'll be happening in September. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You know, we came together to, like, like Barbara said, that we were going to write a chapter for Beyond UFOs. And our portion that we were going to write about was going to be about out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, past lives, and UAP-related contact. So what we did is we took those four parts and decided to write a book about them. That's what we did. And our focus is about the experiencer because, you know, it's very important to focus when you look at these things, even like UFO-related contact. The most precious part of all of these is is the person who is experiencing these things and why it's happening. So that's predominantly what our book is about. It's about extraordinary experiences. And the convergence part is the fact, too, that Barbara mentioned that these things have in common uh, non-local consciousness. And, you know, this goes beyond many things like telepathy, ESP, you know, those types of phenomenon. Those four areas that you cover in your book, you know, the, they're all like acronyms, but I'll, I'll explain them. <laughs> the, the NDE, the near-death experience, the OBE, the out-of-body experience, the PLR, past life regression, and the UAP, which I had never heard that specific term as unidentified aerial phenomenon. Um, yeah, Tim and I love all these things. And two of them, you know, I have extensive experience in the OBE and the PLR because I'm a past life regressionist. Haven't, haven't had an NDE and not, don't think I need to have one. <laughs> universe, I'm saying that to the universe. <laughs> or, or the UAP. Yes. But uh, yeah, I'd lo- I would love to talk and definitely can talk about this from the experiencer um, perspective and not at all from the, um, from the scientific research perspective. Yeah. So I appreciate the work that you've done because, you know, like somebody needs to do that. Doesn't, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> I'm just happy to like, you know, I'm, I deal with people who are already on board with these things. They're the, they're mm-hmm. the experiences as well. And, and they're, I'm not having to convince anyone. Anybody who comes to see me is like interested and open and wanting to have this experience. Right. But I have so much respect for people who are willing <laughs> to talk to skeptics and, you know, to gather that information and try to explain it in a way that they'll get. So I was wondering, who did you have in mind when you were writing this book? Is it, do you think any skeptics will pick up this book? Or do you, are you kind of hoping there's people maybe that are curious, but need more evidence mm-hmm. to then to go on to try to explore these concepts? It's written really for a wide audience. Really, that's our goal. It wasn't so much to prove to skeptics. You know, we're like you. I mean, we're lifelong experiencers. And to be honest, you know, I was an art major. And so (laughs) science and math were my scary subjects. But when you get into this, uh, you know, in order to be taken seriously, and we wanted our book to be taken seriously because we worked so hard on it. And it's important, I think. But it really has a wide base. It's, it's for experiencers, because for the experiencer, we wanted one of my main goals, and, and he learns too, for the experiencer is to understand that we're all wired a certain way. There is a personality prone to having these experiencers and maybe to reframe the way we look at ourselves. Because personally speaking for Lynn and I, we've really struggled through life to be accepted. We've, we've just had 
you know, a lot of negativity and invalidation. And it's been really tough. It's tough to sometimes navigate life as an experiencer and be taken seriously. So it's to help experiencers, you know, in essence, feel positive about the unique traits they have, and maybe reframe that and understand there's a lot of like minded people. It's also for those who just are interested in this phenomena and want to learn more. There's a section at the end of the book, and it's something I'm really passionate about. It's for healthcare workers. It's for psychiatrists and psychologists and those in the healthcare field, because there's like a gap in what you're taught in medical school. And you're not really taught how to handle the, the, the you know, a psychologist patient or somebody who has an NDE in a hospital and they wake up and they say, I saw God and there's not really training for that. So, you know, it's for them as well to realize I might not believe what I'm being told, but I have to honor that it's true because for an example, Tiana, you might know this. I I don't know. And Tim, but 40% of all near death experiencers end up having PTSD And part of that is because they're having this incredulous experience that is just mind blowing. And they're trying to figure out how to navigate through it and integrate it. And they're really struggling with this. And then if they mention it to any type of person in the medical profession, a lot of times they're told you're hallucinating, you're crazy. And it just enormously escalates their agitation and, and their ability to try to see this as anything normal, right? So it's it's sort of, uh, for me, those are the main targets. It's broad-based. Lynn, do you, is there anybody I left out? You know, it's definitely about the experiencer and it is focused on the experiencer. But the thing too, is that we also, you know, add a lot of science to it to support these. And we have a whole chapter about skepticism because, you know, you're going to run into that everywhere, And I've run into that doing what I'm doing because I've done a lot of research with out-of-body experiences. So, you know, you're going to run into skeptics all the time. So it's important. And I felt like that was a very important part that we address that in the book Mm -hmm. about the skeptic versus experiencers, because, you know, experiencers do run into that. I thought that was important to show that and a lot of the scientific basis, too, because all of this does have scientific basis to it especially the science behind, you know, consciousness. So, yeah, we definitely married the two when it came to science versus experiencer. Yeah, you know, I love that you put the focus on the experiencer. And you even mentioned earlier, um, it's about the experiencer and why they're having this experience, you know, and what kind of what kind of conclusions have you come to really for most of these people as to why they're having this experience? One of the things that I'm I'm speaking from my perspective, because I'm extremely interested in psychology. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, I always knew I came into this world wired differently. And at first, you know, because I started having my experiences when I was two years old. I mean, I was really young, but I knew that they were real. They were so real. They were realer than real. But you know, I still felt like an outsider and a weirdo because I knew even at that young age that other kids weren't having these things, right? So like, again, my 
perspective, it's really important to investigate what kind of personality types have these experiences. And we call them anomalous experiences. So it's an anomalous personality type. And under that like umbrella, you have like a highly sensitive person personality, and you also have a fantasy prone personality. So these are people that I mean, honestly, I think we come into the world wired differently. I think our vibration is higher to begin with. And a lot of us, not everybody, but Lynn and I, and a lot of people I know, we've had really difficult childhoods. Is this almost universal? So in other words, you could come from a childhood where there's any kind of abuse, like physical, emotional, psychological. It could be that you just had one super traumatic event that, you know, just really had a hard time processing. Um, you definitely can easily disassociate. However, disassociation is also a psychological coping mechanism, right? So if you're coming from a difficult negative home life or environment or whatever, are you disassociating to like deal with it? Or is that just an additional trait? You tend to be an introvert and intuitive, and there's a lot of other personality traits. But to me, that's very personally meaningful to me. So that's my focus. I did a lot of personal research on the topic of UAPs and UFOs, you know, several mm-hmm. years ago. And I, I have a whole like shelf back here just dedicated <laughs> to, to only those that. type of books. Yeah. Yeah. What I actually came to the conclusion of was most of these experiences were in part a way for the person to come to some sort of understanding of their own mm-hmm. spirituality or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be the case at all for any of these people? I think that it's a very common thing, especially since you mentioned the UAP related contact. You know, that's one of the things that we focused a lot too, because you were talking about people who've had ac- actually, you know, contact with what we call non human intelligent beings. So, you know, that's where it's very related to the, the UFO related contact. It's like it's a very huge common thing of how it changes people spiritually enormously, you know, how we start to view the world so differently. I can't tell you how much it has changed me. You know, that's one thing, too, that the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation was focusing on was the the extraordinary changes that people who have made contact and people have had these experiences. It just changes their whole paradigm Mm -hmm. and how they think and view the world so differently you know you become so much more one with the planet one with nature you know you start to be so much more sensitive to you know the things that are going on in the world and how you handle these things you know the conflict and stuff you you know become so much more sensitive to it sometimes it's like so much to the point where it's sort of hard to be able to kind of still be part of society, you know, it's, it's difficult, you know, so many times to be able to, you know, act normal the way we used to, or be normal again. It's like, you can never go back to that because, you know, you see the world in, in such a different way. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge change for a lot of people that go through these types of um, extraordinary experiences. I feel like there's, a, a new normal that's happening, right? Because there's a shift going on in the planet where a lot of people are awakening and certainly younger. Yes. I've noticed, 
you know, in my 13 years here in Austin, having a practice, I've noticed younger and younger clients coming that are awake, uh, where that's, this is just normal for them. <laughs> it's normal to have telepathy yes. or to travel out of your body. And, you know, and, and then they're forming communities and where it's normal in their group of friends and so yeah. forth. And, and what's really cool, I, I love the, that I find it very interesting what you said about the different personalities and so forth that are more prone to have these kinds of experiences. But the cool thing is too, that you can also not fit into those categories and maybe like never have a near death experience and not see any kind Kind of mm-hmm. unidentified, but you could still train yourself, right? You can you can right. train yourself to have an out of body experience, mm-hmm. or you can mm-hmm. train yourself to yes. uh, experience regression. And so, and this is why I love those tools as a practitioner, you know, because because mm-hmm. um, it does it does it's a, it is a total paradigm shift, you know. When, once you've experienced yourself out of your body, like you're saying, this non local consciousness, and then you realize like oh, I'm more than my body, you know, it is this kind of incredible freedom. And it does take away, you know, they, apparently, like most of our fears really come, you know, from death, mm-hmm. right? We're mostly afraid of, right. or anxious around death. And so to, to have, whether you go into a past life mm-hmm. or whether you're out of your body mm-hmm. to experience beyond that just totally shifts the way that you see the world. I love your um, realer than real um, yeah. <laughs> expression because that because I, I I can just remember some out of body experiences that yes they feel realer than real. There's a certain lucidity. There's a clarity. There's um, other colors. There's other sounds that are, are mm-hmm. not here. It's like it's like when you wake up from right. a dream and the dream was kind of fuzzy and this feels so much more lucid and clear in this waking mm-hmm. state. But there are more lucid and and clearer states than this. It's like when we die, this is going to seem like fuzzy. And so Mm. this is what I try to tell my clients, right? Like when my clients are like asking like, oh, after they had a whole past life experience, and then they say, how do I know if that was real? And then my question is always, how do you know that this is real? What is real? These are all just different states of consciousness. So let's let go of this like real, you know, thing and more about like, Am I, am I growing? Am I learning? Am I healing? You know, is this helping me? And then it doesn't matter. Like, how do we categorize what is real? Yeah. I mean, there's so many pieces we wanted to bring into that book. And that that is another one because universally, you know, in the science support this, but as experiences, we know this, that all these experiences, although sometimes for some people, they take a lot of years to like, acclimate to it and all that. But they're almost always universally positive and transformational in a really, really great way, you know. And speaking of that, you know, when you do have these experiences, and everything is so heightened. And for me, like I've had, speaking of past life regression, but I've had numerous past life memories or recall, but none of mine have been under regression. And I know that's very unusual. And I know, you know, it is, it's really weird. But they're the most impactful of any of these experiences for me because of how realer than real they are. Because not only is everything heightened, like you said, but when I have them, I'm having them in like six dimensions. And as human beings in, in like a 3D world, how do we even know what six dimensions are? But when I'm having them, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, 
How can I be having them? How can I be seeing like an omnidirectional vision? How can I be two people at the same time? And then what I find really difficult, and I don't know if you do or any of your clients, but once you're sort of out of your body or out of your three-dimensional consciousness, then when you come back to it, you feel, oh my gosh, this is so dense. This is so confined. Oh, I'm stuck back in this limited body. Not that you can't, you know, go out again, but it's a real eye opener, right? Like the difference. We just had a guest who came on and talked about his near-death experience. And he said it felt like, so, you know, coming back into his body after his near-death experience, he said it felt like, being squished into the size of a monopoly piece where it just yeah Yeah. it was like this he had been this overwhelming you know greatness and then he had to like squish it all himself into this little piece and I thought oh that's a really good analogy a lot of near-death experiences say something similar to that you know like squished back into my body or whatever but you know I think any any out of body any extraordinary experience I just happen to like that word I think it encompasses a lot I mean, you're limitless, right? Because we are limitless and consciousness is limitless. And once you you experience something outside of time and space, as we humans understand it, it's, it's really mind-blowing to the way we normally navigate life. And people that haven't had these experiences, you know, my husband, I, he always says, okay, if I use them as an example, but he listens to me. He's interested in what he said, but he's so like his viewpoint and the way he looks at life is really just whatever he can experience in his five senses. He's like, what? He's really not capable of quite getting that. And I feel badly for that because it's I can't imagine not having that in my life. You know, it's so enlightening or magnificent. It's really hard to put into words. Our language is so limiting. So, Barbara, when did you first start having these kind of experiences and can you describe them a little bit for us? Oh gosh, I've had so many. So my first experience was at two years old and I came from a family that, um, I mean, no one in my family, because sometimes this can be genetic, right? Nobody on any side of my family. I mean, forget it. Nobody has ever had experiences. So when I was two years old, I started having, I, I don't know if it really was a spirit guide or it was some, you know, intelligent non-human being i really don't know but what was impactful about it was a native american woman started coming to visit me when i was playing in my room alone when i was two and you know a lot of kids imagine things and playmates and all that but the reason i knew it was real was because she was almost like otherworldly in a way you know she was very human looking but there was just something about her and she would speak to me telepathically and we would have these incredibly deep conversations. And it was, it was strange because normal two-year-olds, I mean, they're not like this, but my mind was sort of divide. I'd be saying to myself, Oh my gosh, I'm two years old. I should be playing with dolls. And the other side would be like, Oh my God, she's telling me about like the theory behind the universe and like why we're here and the meaning of life. And it was sort of like a conflict for me but I totally understood what she was saying. And we never spoke in words. I wasn't scared. I didn't even think it was out of the norm. That's why I guess I thought I was such a weird kid because 
I think most kids would be thinking, God, I'm whacked out, but it was my norm. And so I remember going to tell my mother about her and she's so dismissive. It's like, oh my, you know, you're making that up. It's an imaginary playmate. Don't ever say stuff like that again. You know, you're lying. That's not true. And so I just learned to stifle myself. You know, I had to shove it down. Couldn't share it with anybody, which was really hard. But it was so real, so real that I never questioned it. She didn't dissuade me. She didn't change my mind. And why I say that was so impactful is because it came from a home like I was talking about. It was very abusive and there wasn't much love shown. So this woman, I called her Luli. She was Native American. Her name was like Luliana, but I couldn't say that. So I called her Luli. She, I think the reason she really came was she was the first being that ever showed me unconditional love. And I think that's why she would, came to me, to show me unconditional love and to show me that there was a consciousness beyond my body and to give me some lessons. And then the second thing that happened to me when I was six years old, in real life, I was six years old, I was in first grade and I got pneumonia. I missed 50 days of school. And I just, nothing, like nothing got me better. I was constantly at the pediatrician and I was, oh my gosh, I was on every kind of antibiotic that existed at the time, but it just, it was, it just won't go away. And it got to the point where the principal called my parents up and said, um, your daughter's intelligent and she does well at school, but we're going to have to hold her back. if She misses like another week because, you know, she's missing too much school. So after that was said, it triggered a memory of a past life in England. And like, probably, I got the sense it was 1905. And I was a very wealthy British little girl. I saw myself. And I was it was in two parts. So the first part was I was riding in a like a British touring car at the turn of the century, it's very wealthy, I had a chauffeur driving me. And I knew that we were driving back to my home and that I had been taken away from the home for a while because a very, very traumatic incident had happened in the home. And when I say that I see things in six dimensions, so what happened was I was Barbara. I knew I was Barbara. I knew I was a six-year-old girl living on planet Earth. But at the same time, I became this other child in 1905 so I, I became, I was Barbara, yet I became her. I experienced every one of her emotions. I could see out of her eyes. I could feel the breeze as we drove in the car. I could smell the flowers. I looked at, you know, I saw the road. I saw the homes as we passed them. And simultaneously, I was looking down on her. I was looking sideways at her. I was seeing the car, you know, from the underneath, it, it, it was ridiculously multidimensional. And the girl was so sad. She was so filled with pain. So that was the first part. And I found out later, I had another memory that the reason she was so filled with pain was because her father had been killed and her mother, who was always emotionally fragile, couldn't handle it and had to be institutionalized. And they thought I was too young to deal with that. And I've been taken to her relatives. And then, so that was one snippet. The next snippet like jumped to the last part of her life. And that part of her life, she was probably in her forties, early fifties. And she had just been told she had been diagnosed with lung cancer and she was going to die. She was a heavy smoker. 
like a party girl, never took care of herself. And so I, again, became this woman feeling this horrible grief. I had just been told I was going to die. And so I'm aware as a six-year-old child, oh, my God, how do I know what it feels like to die? But yet at the same time, I'm having this memory, and I know what that feels like. So she was dying of lung cancer from smoking. The next day after I had this, like, flashback recalls, I got up. And I didn't, my lungs were clear. They were completely clear. I felt great. And I went in and I said to my mom, mom, I feel really good. So she called the doctor, said, you're not wheezing. I mean, I don't understand. So she called the doctor. She took me to my pediatrician. He listened to my lungs and said, I don't understand this. Like, I don't get this. This is impossible medically. Like you can't go from being sick for 50 days and all of a sudden overnight, boom, you're perfect. But I knew that in this past life, this was an upper rest right lungs or upper respiratory right. And I had basically smoked myself to death. I had that memory that I didn't need to hold on to that anymore. You know, it might have been embedded in my physical body, whatever. It, it was it was an absolute complete physical healing, an immediate physical healing. So that was super impactful for me. And then it just goes on and on and on and on. But those were the first two most vivid and impactful things in my childhood. Yeah, that's incredible. That's an incredible story. So I, I can imagine that probably had a, a huge impact on, on the rest of your life since you were so young when that happened. Well, yeah, and that's why I say that, see, I think I'm different than a lot of people. A lot of people, when we have these uh, experiences or we train, you know, to become open and be able to open ourselves up to a, a higher vibration, Mine started at such like a young age. It was just a part of my life. Do you know what I mean? So my paradigm, it was like, I think I just, it happened so young that this became my norm, right? Yeah. I, I I was, I grew up, I, I forged through life with this paradigm. It wasn't like one aha moment or a series of aha moments. It was like, oh my God, I knew I was different. I knew that I could connect with a consciousness that wasn't of this time or place. I was getting telepathic messages. I was understanding information that was beyond my capabilities. I was seeing things in multi-dimensions, feeling other people's emotions from different times and places. And oh, by the way, I have verified a piece of that past life so that growing up made me feel a little better, like I wasn't totally, you know, questioning it in any way. So yeah, it's just like my paradigm shifted from the time I was teeny. So yeah. I've kind of always been this weird, unusual, kind of freakish person. <laughs> I think, you know, in the time that we live in now, whereas, you know, when you were younger, there wasn't an internet. And so you didn't have access mm -mm. to like, oh, there's other people that are having these experiences. Yeah. But I know a number of people that have just experienced past lives, not in mm -hmm. regression or anything like that. And it's it's becoming more and more common as the vibration on the planet is shifting. It's so nice for the kids now who can find other people on the internet and have a lot more resources at their fingertips than, you know, back in the day when none of that was available and you'd feel so isolated. And I'm curious, Lynn, what about you? Could you tell us maybe an experience or two that was really pivotal for you growing up? Well, it's um, when I was really young, I 
lived in so much of a fantasy world that it was very difficult for me to start extinguishing between um, the difference between reality and the experiences. My experiences had a lot to do with the Mayans and, the, and visiting Mayan temples and tunneling underneath the pyramids. It, it was to the point where I thought it was real, but it really happened. And when I was young, it was hard to distinguish between those two. It's like, a, you know, I grew up, I was born in Texas, um, El Paso. So, we, you know, we lived on the border of Mexico. And, you know, seriously, I have a vivid memory of my dad taking us, you know, down into Mexico to visit some of the Mayan ruins. You know, I mean, I see this happening in my mind still. And I remember later on in years when I talked, I was talking to my brother, I said, you remember when daddy took us down there? And because I, you know, he walked up to the temple and was pointing at certain things. He said that never happened. You know, so these things just, you know, those are some pretty amazing memories. Um, As I got older, I started to experience the spontaneous out-of-body experiences. So throughout most of my life, I really, really did not know what was happening. And there was times when I did research lucid dreaming and things like that. But, you know, we didn't have the Internet back then. It, It would have been really amazing if I had known some of the great, you know, authors like Seth Speaks and stuff like that. If I had known some of those people back then, it would probably have changed a lot of things. So I would say around 2006, I started researching more of these things. I had saw, I saw a great movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? And when I saw that, you know, because it talked about a lot of the quantum aspects, quantum physics, and I mean, that changed everything. It's like, okay, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. Uh, and reading um, a lot about the particular authors in the movie, in the book, and I started doing a, more meditation. I started meditating. Um, on a regular basis. And I noticed that these experiences were happening more and more. And I was, you know, they were really strange because, you know, the vibrations that are prior to the out-of-body experiences were so dramatic. It's almost like I felt this jet plane taking off inside my head. And then I remember opening my eyes and I was inches from the ceiling. It's like, oh, this is strange. And it was just real. Like I could just reach out and touch it. And I happened to come up on a podcast because I was listening to everything I could. And I came up on a a podcast from uh, William Buhlman. And he was explaining everything that was happening to me. And then that just started everything. I started, you know, reading the books. And then I started to practice controlled out-of-body experiences. And, you know, I would say the biggest realization, the biggest paradigm shift for me was when I was you know, doing a particular technique. Now, yes, I've had these experiences. I had a lot of experiences of what's called, you know, the false awakening when you like get up and you think you're awake and you're doing things. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is something strange. I'm not awake, you know? And um, so, you know, I've had those experiences and flying and just visiting different things, but this one was my first controlled out-of-body experience. I I did a particular technique. I got up in the middle of the night and got up a little bit, lay back down. I was meditating and then the vibrations occurred and it's like, yes, this is really happening. And I just raised up right out of my body and I stood there looking at myself and I started to just laugh. It's like, 
this is so amazing. And I remember taking my hand and touching my body, my sleeping body, and my hand went through myself. And I could just, it was like I was feeling vibrations. And I was laughing so hard. And, you know, before I knew it, zapped, I was right back in my body. That, you know, that was the real first time. It's like, this is for real. This is, you know, because, and it was such, you know, as you could say, these experiences are realer than real. It was amazing. And after that, I started to do more practicing different types of experiments. I was on forums and different groups. We were discussing so many of these things. I was learning all about other people's experiences. And, you know, that's another thing that's very, very important is that, you know, if you're having, you know, these experiences, you know, the first thing you need to do is find somebody to talk to, to share these experiences with, because that completely changed my life. You know, so that's kind of how it started with me. Yeah, that the the back to bed method for OBEs where you get up and then you move like I would get out of bed and then go Mm -hmm. to the couch or something. Mm -hmm. That was the the method that would work like 100% of the time for me Mm -hmm. if I'd have the discipline to get up. I'd set my alarm for five hours (laughs) and then I would just end up turning it off and being like, I'm going to do this tomorrow. And that would happen over and over again. But the, the few times that I actually would get up, it always worked. Versus like the other, you know, I think it's Robert Monroe who, you know, kind of first, one of the first pioneers that you just kind of like lay down yes. and you stop, you stop feeling your body and then you calm your emotions and then you quiet your mind and then you patiently wait <laughs> until you hit the vibrational state, right? And so, so many times like one of those steps would get in the way or I'd get all the way to the vibrational state and then I would like slip like almost all the way out of my body but then like my finger would get stuck or something and I couldn't like so it's like when I'm too awake and when I go from waking to try to get there it's hard for me but if I go from sleeping and then I wake up it's so mm-hmm. much easier to get that part out of the way how long have you been having these experiences and do you practice controlled out-of-body experiences you know, oh, I love I love how you flipped the switch and now you're asking me questions. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, when I had my, you know, I was raised as an atheist. And then when I had my initial like big spiritual awakening and I was like meditating four hours at a time every day, it would just happen without me trying. It was just happening. I was slipping out of my body. I was going into past lives and all of this just kind of without trying. But then, of course, I, nobody, I mean, that's not true, nobody, but not that many people can meditate four hours a day all their life, yeah, right? I can't. The rest of our life to <laughs> have to take care of that we don't have that time anymore. But um, yeah, so when I was no longer able to meditate for that much time, it wasn't happening just spontaneously. So that's when I tried to like learn the techniques. But then over the years for myself, it's just like I have all there's like so there's so much to explore spiritually. Right. So I've always thought like, mm-hmm. well, you know, when I'm 80 and I have a lot more time, I'll go back <laughs> to doing those methods again. But yeah. I've got all this other, you know, we've got this podcast to do. I've got uh, past life regression clients to see. I don't have time to do that. But I'm just sharing so that other people maybe will feel encouraged that it really it is their techniques that anyone you know, some people are natural, mm-hmm. you know, um, like Barbara just slips out, but like other people, everyone can do it, but it, it'll mm-hmm. just require some discipline, you know? And so if you have the time and then you have the discipline, yeah. you can do it. Mm-hmm. Your book is uh, a balance between mm-hmm. 
or I guess the convergence between science and spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and I like what you said about quantum physics, because that really is kind of a, a great place where they meet. But yeah, I wanted to just kind of, you had made this point in your book about how the near absolute dominance of materialism in the academic world had severely constricted science. And yeah, that's just something that I mentioned to my friends so many times over the years is like, well, we need people with awakened consciousness to become scientists, because if we're waiting for these scientists are not going to open to this unless their consciousness shifts. And so people that are like really ingrained in that model, probably that's there. That's who they're going to be in this lifetime. So like I said, I'm not interested in, in science, um, but, but I'm hoping, you know, there's other people that are, that, you know, are, because even like they, they had that study with that they've had preliminary um, success in proving telepathy, right? Where they were able to get people Mm -hmm. to transmit. It was like a basic word, like hello or hi or something very simple. But I I looked at the the way that they set that up and I was like, they set that up all wrong, you know, from my perspective, (laughs) because I'm thinking, because telepathy, because I, you know, you guys probably have too. I've had lots of telepathy experiences with other people that I know and it's, it's, it's energetic. And so like strangers that don't have this energetic cord already established mm-hmm. for the information to transfer through is very difficult versus there's all of this evidence mm-hmm. of like like a mother who suddenly knew something wrong was wrong with her yeah. child mm-hmm. who was all the way across on the planet you know we have these energetic connections and so like to to get people who are connected to learn the telepathy or to study it to me would you know be much more fruitful but but anyway yeah, I don't know if you have any comments to make about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the quantum entanglement aspect of this. You know, people who are, you know, who are close in friendship and share love, the entanglement aspects of that. So communication and non-local consciousness is so much stronger in those connections. And you're definitely right that that's what they should be looking at and researching is people with those types of connections are more likely to show and have proof that these connections exist. I think it was like Buckminster, how how do you say his name? Buckminster Fuller? Fuller. Yeah, that's right. He has some like famous quote that, uh, yeah, I don't remember the quote exactly. (laughs) So I'm going to sort of butcher it, but something (laughs) about, you know, like we shouldn't try to change the old system. You create a new system that makes the old one obsolete. And I feel like, that's what we're needing to do with quantum physics and we're needing to create new scientific mm-hmm. systems for exploring consciousness versus like these old systems the way that they're built in already it's not going to be able to further or expand because of the way which is what I feel like you were saying in your book yeah if anything i think it's confining i think it's the opposite see lynn and i kind of brought a twist like to this research team. I mean, there were a few others like us, but we worked with a lot of like, you know, really hardcore scientists. I mean, Dr. Edgar Mitchell had like a PhD in astrophysics from Harvard. And we worked with, I mean, people like this and he was open, but there were other people on the team that were hardcore scientists. And actually one of them used to say to me all the time, how come I can't have experiences? Why do you have experience? Why can't I? And it'd be because you look at everything so scientifically. You're so left brain. You're so linear, sequential. You've got to be 
become open, but it was like as if this person, it just couldn't happen. And I, and that's why Lynn and I, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why we really focus on the experiencers because truly I feel like, and science would hate me for saying this, but I feel like we already know experientially what science is trying to prove right because how can they prove theoretically something that's experiential that's how we feel right i mean they're not going to agree with us so that's why we try to marry the two just like i said you know part of it's to to give weight to the book to be you know you want to be taken seriously because there's there is that woohoo factor you know and and lynn and i are very grounded and we're experiencers but we're very grounded and lynn has a science background she's an ms in biology and metaphysics is a science so wouldn't it be great if, if we could have more if science could like blossom from the experiential they all need to just go in on an ayahuasca retreat or something <laughs> I think that the blossoming, I think, you know, the blossoming of plant medicine and, and that there is, you know, now that it's like legal to have this like research yeah. that it's, um, yeah. I think there is going to be a big shift there because more people in these clinical settings are able to experience, you know, psilocybin and, and soon to be MDMA and so forth that it does, I really do feel like it opens like, or activates new like neural pathways in the brain yeah. that allow people to, you know, previously were shut off from that to have that activated within them. So I do think that that's the times that we're living that I'm hopeful for that at least. Yeah. Yeah. We're hopeful too. And you know what I love, you know, I love that you've been saying, because I mean, obviously, you know, we're from a different generation, but it's so refreshing for me to hear this. It's amazing. It's wonderful that in your practice, you are seeing so many younger people coming in that are just already opened and aware. And that is, I mean, it warms my heart to hear that. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it is. It's really exciting. I've even had, and so I also do Reiki, right? Energy healing. I've even had this family come in and they told me that they all woke up from their child, like because he was having these experiences with angels and all of these mm-hmm. interesting things were happening in their family and he was telling them all this stuff and they actually listened. And so they were opening and then this is why wow. they wanted to, to um, yeah. experience Reiki so that they could raise their vibration and open more. And so it's a different time on the planet now where, you know, whereas before, like, you know, you as a child were got indoctrinated when you were told like, oh, you yeah. know, you're told like, oh, you're, you're, you're not. Right, right. Versus this is like, oh, a child was saying it and, and the family is like, oh, wow, really? Tell me more about your experiences. And so, so yeah, it is, I think, really, I don't know, inspiring time on the planet. All of the craziness that's happening is also creating just a lot of awakening for people. Old paradigms are dying yeah. or crumbling and it's op- making way for new possibilities. Yeah. Truly, truly, I'm so glad that you shared that with us. And I real, oh gosh, what a difference that would have made in our lives, right? If we had been heard and asked open-ended questions and encouraged and there, you know, I can't tell you what a difference that makes in somebody's lives and moving forward on your spiritual journey. So that, that is fantastic. 
But you guys came in to be these forefront people to to pave the way. So I really appreciate that. You know, like mm-hmm. people had to come in in the really difficult times when it wasn't commonplace mm-hmm. or accepted, and be themselves and set the yeah. you know standard for mm-hmm. the for the next generation. And it'll continue that way, generation after generation, hopefully. Yeah. Oh gosh, I hope. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, on some level, you you both have to understand that this was part of your purpose and your mission was to come here and help in this way, I think, right? Like, otherwise you wouldn't have gone through all the effort of writing the book, I think, you know? (laughs) I know. I know. And I keep so Tana so through it. I keep saying, you know, I do. I absolutely believe, you know, you have a mission and a purpose and it's pre-planned and the whole thing. I mean, that's my personal viewpoint. And I swear (laughs) next time when I'm over, on the other side in this wonderful, amazing place, I keep remembering to ask for an easier life, <laughs> coming in with this enlightened, easier life, because <laughs> it can get pretty dense here, you know, especially like, like I said, with the, the challenges that we faced, you know, growing up in the times that we did. So, yeah. Yeah. One one other thing I want to mention that I um, that just caught my eye in your book um, was because it was something I've been wondering about for a long time, and I was like, ah, finally, that's information. I mean, it wasn't something that I wondered enough that I guess I researched on it before, but it was. Um, <laughs> it was like, yes, that's always been a question in my mind. And I'm so glad somebody, which was, um, you had this like near death experiences from blind people. And I, I yeah, I so much about dreams from blind people, or you know, yes. like out of body experiences, or like how how do they experience? Yeah, it? well, when I when I started researching, because I did my dissertation, the reason I did my dissertation on near death experiences because it's the one one thing that I haven't had, and the strongest evidence, the one they take most seriously in near death experiences are those in the congenitally blind, like not people that at one time were sighted and maybe have some memories. And what I didn't realize are congenitally blind, because I always figured, okay, you're blind, like, at least you see black, right? Because, you know, when we close our eyes or whatever, well, I see colors, but you know, black. But the thing is, these people, they don't see anything. They have, they don't even see black. They see absolutely nothing. <laughs> they have no concept of vision. They have no concept of color. And yet when they have a near-death experience, they're, they see everything the same exact experience as a sighted person. And they see in what they call omnidirectional vision, which I was mentioning before. So not only can they actually see, but they see greater than 360 degrees, like you know, from now, you know, we can see from side to side and above, and, you know, we can look down, but they can see from the underneath, they can see from like an eagle's eye looking down. And when, when researchers were investigating this, and they were looking at the actual research from participants, they could not tell the difference if they didn't know the person was congenitally blind, their story was literally identical in um, description, you know, a visual description as that of a sighted person. So one of the main researchers, his name is Kenneth Ring. He called, he came up with a term called blind sight because all of a sudden, so he's like, you know, 
here's another reason why we can prove consciousness isn't localized to the mind, because they're seen from a consciousness that's apart and aside from their body, you know, and I found that absolutely fascinating. And and I've watched videos of, of some of these, um, the you know, the blind studies, and the way these people describe it, it's absolutely unbelievable. But when they're having their near-death experience, they're not finding it shocking, like, oh, my God, you know, I, I was able to see a red truck in it, you know, it had, like, tread on the tires, and it was raining, and I got to see what rain looked like. It's so normal to them during their near-death experience. So, yeah, it's considered, like, a very, very um, hard uh, scientific data, right? Like a really important breakthrough um, to support the validity of near-death experiences. I just found it really, really exciting and cool. Because people, you know, I've, I've run into people all the time. It's like, no, consciousness is not non-local. It's in our heads. I mean, that right there, that's proof right there. You know, it's it's amazing. Well, it looks like we're about out of time. Can you tell our listeners where they can find information about you and your book and and all that? Yeah, well, most information that you can find, because it shows it has links, obviously, to all of our social media, is our website. We have a pretty good website and um, very comprehensive. It's www dot extraordinary experiences.org so we have all of our latest you, you know like media we have a blog and we have a lot i write a lot of blogs so you'll always be finding blog updates we have a huge reference section for people that want to look in further into any of these areas, books, uh, some of the personality testing, sites, websites, all of that. And again, you'll see the social media context because uh, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, we have our own Facebook page. And the book's available on Amazon. It's available in the United States. It's available almost worldwide. And it's also on Kindle. And Barnes and Nobles and Barnes and Nobles version of Kindle is Book Nook uh, and the variety of independent bookstores and um, on the book depository. Can you give us the title uh, so, of the book one more time? Oh, sure. It's Convergence, the Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. All right. Thanks so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, you so too. much. You too. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was great. Yeah, it was really nice to hear from both of you. And uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing, too. Yeah, we're trying to um, <laughs> we're trying to get these this paradigm going here, really get this change going. And I'm and I'm loving it so much. I am. I have met so many great people. It, it is. It's been an amazing experience meeting like minded people. Yeah. And, you know, if I can say something, and I think it applies to all four of us, but I always say I'm doing my soul's work. Like, this isn't a job. I mean, how many of us are so lucky, right, that our job is who we are. It's like our purpose, 
who we are. We're in alignment with our soul every day. It's just amazing and it's wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, you guys have a great weekend. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I'd like to say thank you very much to Barbara and Lynn for taking the time to talk with us and for sharing their gifts and knowledge with us. If you'd like to know more about them and their book, as well as the other books they've co-authored, please visit their website, extraordinaryexperiences.org. Also, I wanted to let everyone know that this will be the last episode of Season 4. We're not sure exactly when Season 5 will begin, but we'll be sure to make an announcement on social media as soon as we have a date lined up. Thank you very much for listening. We've had so much fun this season, and we've all been through so many changes together over the course of this year so far. It's truly been an honor sharing the messages our guests have for everyone, and we've been extremely blessed to get to know each and every one of them. Also, this week we'll be recording a podcast episode with Carrie Hummingbird on her podcast called Soul Nectar. So if you want to hear that episode, I'm sure it will be out in a few weeks, and the website for that podcast is soulnectar.show. And before we go, I'd like to say thank you to Casey Henson for creating the music we use on this podcast, and Tiana Roser for all the hard work she's done to keep this podcast interesting and going strong. For more information about us or to access past episodes, please visit our incredible website, beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And you can find us on social media as well. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. This will help other people find us. Take care. Take care.